This is David from the future, here to welcome you to the second episode of the Amped About Movies podcast. Today we'll be discussing the 1980 film Ordinary People. This movie follows an affluent family as the accidental death of their older son deeply strains the relationships among the bitter mother Beth, the good-natured father Calvin, and the guilt-ridden younger son Conrad. There will be spoilers during our discussion, and we always recommend you watch the movie in advance if you'd like to get a more complete understanding. Next week, we'll be discussing the 2019 Academy Award-winning film Parasite, so be sure to watch it if you want to enjoy the optimal listening experience. Now, on to the show. Chad! Hello. Chad is here. I mean, just trying. Perfect. What is up, man? I figured I would actually add up all of my scores before we started this time, so I figured I'd <laughs> go, wait two, two minutes and, and do the addition for you. Thank you go. very much. I this time. <laughs> I was just... Fun fact, just, you can put, you can use just Excel for it to calculate it for you. Uh, Dude, I'm very aware of that. If anyone knows that, it's Chad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did not. <laughs> Chad is an Excel guru. Chad knows more about Excel than probably anybody I know. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate okay. that. That's not because I spend eight to ten hours a day just sitting in Excel sheets, right? That's right. No, no, no. <laughs> not for that reason. Um... Okay, I'm just going to get us started. Hello, welcome to the Amped About Movies podcast, episode two. We, we had to change Did we the name. On that name. Well, we had to change the name from another movie podcast to Amped About <laughs> Movies, which just, you know, includes another movie podcast in the title, if you haven't caught that yet. Um, uh, honestly, I didn't. I'm a little slow. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> you know, it's like more like an inside joke than a straight and call out. Fun little um, Easter egg. Yeah, a little Easter egg. Um, the to, viewers from the for the OG viewer of, of podcast episode one. Um, today we'll be discussing Ordinary People, which debuted in 1980, was directed by Robert Redford, who actually won uh, an Academy Award for Best Director for his debut film. Um, it was written by uh, Alvin Sargent, who actually adapted the screenplay from a novel by Judith Guest, and uh, he won a uh, uh, Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay for this movie. Um, and it stars Donald Suther- Sutherland, Mary Tyler Moore, Judd Hirsch, and Timothy Hutton. All right. Oh, and it also won the Academy Award for Best Picture in 1980. So pretty well acclaimed movie. Awards. Yeah. One, one, two, three, four. It won six. Yeah. No, nah, I don't uh, want four. It won four. <laughs> what? No, it didn't. It was it nominated won. for six. No. Oh, you're right. I'm looking at it wrong. Sorry. <laughs> Jesus, I feel dumb. <laughs> you're right. down this on is only being recorded like... for posterity. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, so let's just go around and and say what you thought of the movie. Give like a couple sentences. You know, your little summary of you know what your thoughts were. I guess I can start. Yeah. Let's go with Hunter. Uh, so. I'm a little divided because I feel like this was a movie that at the time was huge. Talked about um, specifically family life, a family life that was very normal at the time. Uh, well, for the, uh, for the upper middle class. And not a lot of people talked about these issues. And I felt, thought that at the time this movie brought a lot into the light. But now I sort of felt like Ordinary People was a little bit of an ordinary movie. Um and <laughs> it felt a little bit like that. And uh, I thought 
if you dig into it, there's a lot of good stuff. But on the surface, just watching it, it's um, a good one movie watch, um, not a lot to rewatch and just touches on some good points. Cool. Chad, what did you think? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I think it's a movie that I'm supposed to think is really, really good and is very insightful and uh, very hard-hitting. But just considering some of the movies that have come out since its release um, and some of the topics that they touch on and how raw some of the newer movies are with the way that, you know... Uh, mental health is discussed in our world today. I think it probably loses a little bit of that hard hittingness that it originally had when it came out, um, which shouldn't be a knock against the movie. It's just not as it's not as out there as it probably used to be. It's not as new or as fresh as it used to be. Which um, you know, it's tough to judge something with the with it being a different world than when it was released. But unfortunately, that's the world that I watched it in. So it it didn't hit everything that I kind of was expecting for it, especially reading some reviews and having a few thoughts going into it. Why didn't you watch this movie in 1980, Chad? What you the know, heck? I was just a little busy. I was just a little busy in 1980. Um, Chad, come on. You know, it took me, it took me <laughs> You're supposed to be better than this. To get to it. I know, I know. I'll, I'll try and carve out more time to watch movies that are going to be coming out in 2040 now. Thank you. Okay, well, at least, you know, we have that commitment from you. All right. Thank you. Beard, what did you think? Well, let me tell you, I thought many <laughs> things about this movie. Um, and I will go into a How many pages were the things did you think about this movie? Like two and a half. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> whereas, for reference, like, I filled up like three quarters of a page for Akira. Um, oh, dang. So, okay. But, but to sum it up, um, before, like, you know, really going into the details, um, I thought that this movie had potential it, it could have been really well could have been really good but i thought it was not very well executed um i thought there were like one or two like major flaws that like really brought it down for me um but it could have been really poignant wow okay interesting i'm definitely excited to hear about this because i loved this movie I right. like did not experience any right. of these problems you guys had. I mean, I mean, I'll admit that I thought it definitely started off slow. Like probably for like the first hour, I was kind of like not exactly invested. That's half the movie, David. I know you say that, but like, <laughs> yeah. but like they are ordinary people. It's kind of like I don't give a crap about them. Like I don't know them, and I don't care. But then once I get to start to get to know them, plus like the whole first half of the movie, you're trying to figure out what the heck even happened because no one's coming out right. and saying it. Mm-hmm. which is kind of like the whole thing like they're just so private they don't and there's all these internal tensions and i think what really made this movie uh land for me is just the fact that this i could just relate to this so much like i don't know about you guys but i i like experienced a little bit of depression um which kind of is like an oxymoron um <laughs> but like i i experienced some depression in high school and like there a lot of it was due to pressure from my parents. And a lot of the times the pressure wasn't even really real. Like, you know, your parent, you think your parents expect you to do something because that's kind of how society acts. And it's just such a hard thing to bring up. And then the minute you finally bring it up, your parents are like, what? No, like, I love you. Like, no, that's not what I was intending all along. But of course, no one's ever going to say that until someone finally breaks the ice, which is like the hardest part. Um, 
so I, I know this movie really landed for me um and it, it had me in tears a lot towards the end um so i don't know I'm excited. I'm glad you said so, David. So I'll I'll spare like the worst of my criticism <laughs> since you really <laughs> like this movie. Oh no, you can please criticize away. I'm not gonna like see this movie less because you criticize it. I mean, there are definitely things that I criticize it too. Um, okay, that's fair. Like, like I'll just jump right into my ratings. Um, because I I mean I rated this movie pretty high, obviously based on my enjoyment. I mean I said enjoyability was a six, like so not super high. Um. Mm-hmm. Acting, I was gonna, I was, I was like, man, this movie was really well acted. And then I remembered that scene where they're, where they're like struggling to stay on the boat, and then mm-hmm. Buck just like lets go and just slides right off. Like he makes zero attempt to stay on the boat. And <laughs> <laughs> that scene just completely took me out of it. I was like, oh my god, dude, come on! I know you could have stayed on that boat. Um, and then the, and then another scene that like really took me out of it. Um in terms of special effects, uh, like, I thought, I was thinking, man, the special effects in this movie were awesome. Like, I mean, really the only thing I could think of was the boat scenes. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I remembered, oh, wait, there's that scene where they're driving to the party in the Mm -hmm. car, and the car scene, special effects are terrible. (laughs) Yeah, it was. So yeah, I mean, you know, there's some some good stuff, some bad stuff. Um, I just thought the plot, like, the buildup was necessary for me mm-hmm. to get to the end. See, I think so. I, I I agree with you. I I struggled with my rating for this because I thought from an from a, analyzing the movie itself, I liked it a lot more than if you were just going to see it. And my ratings, I rated it as if. It was just anybody watching it because I believe that you sh- that when you when you make a movie that you watch it and you enjoy it and that's the main pull rather than sitting and analyzing each piece. But from an analytical standpoint, I thought it was a great movie in the fact that one, um, I actually felt that we, I, I felt very disconnected. I did not cry during the movie, and I found it very tough to connect with Conrad and connect with the family dynamic. And I almost felt like I was the mother. I almost felt like I was seeing everything happen and I was trying to like trying to connect with the family and feel their pain, but I couldn't show it and I couldn't feel it. And I felt from that standpoint, I, I, I don't know if anybody else felt that way, um, but I was like, I'm really relating to the mom right now with seeing this, everything unfold with her family and not being able to help, not mm-hmm. being able to cry in front of them and, and feel that. And I thought that was really interesting. I also thought it was great going back and seeing all these little pieces of how they sort of depicted society of keeping up with the Joneses, um, having going to meaningless dinner parties and this, <laughs> this value of keeping up your outside appearance rather than focusing on your inner family dynamic, how that's still a problem 40 years later. That is still a problem today with, with families. I mean, you look at technology, how technology's evolved still a problem today and i thought that that was really interesting how um it touched on such an issue uh i also thought it was just really really interesting to see the dynamic between uh hold up i gotta pull this up between judd hirsch and timothy hudden because i got major goodwill hunting vibes with Hmm. robert williams and Mm -hmm. matt damon it was just i just that's exactly what i thought uh huh. Yes. Really? I, I totally right off the bat. Yeah. 
I definitely <laughs> don't like Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> so, um, yeah, from from looking back at it, I thought it was a better movie analyzing each piece. But from just watching it, um, it was just, I, I can't see myself rewatching it. Yeah. So what did you guys think about just like the random set dressing of, you know, middle upper class, upper middle class uh, society in Northern Illinois? I thought that was like pretty important because um, I think you guys kind of already touched on like it was like one obstacle that this family was facing was that like they were trying to be private about these kinds of things and they were trying to keep up their image because they were upper class or upper middle class um so i thought that was like an important conflict um that they had to like try and overcome and like kind of um, be vulnerable to seeing a psychiatrist or like being open about these kinds of things so um yeah that that totally made sense to me um and i and i could see why they they did that yeah i thought it was so like crazy i mean i i just maybe maybe it was the stuff like the the swimming team like the fact that he quits the swimming team is such a big deal like the coach is like your life is depending on this you sure you want to throw away your life and the kid's like what no i'm not gonna throw away my life yeah that was like really over dramatic it's like you keep messing up your life like well see that's the thing though that's the thing that's what people are like in this town well, I agree with you, David, because, like, when you're in high school, that's how big everything seems, too. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it seems like when you're in high school, every single one of those decisions just seems like, oh, I'm changing the course of my entire life. I mean, seriously, I yeah. Like, well, okay, as, like, a student, you feel that. But I feel like adults would kind of look back and be like, oh, yeah, it's okay. But, like, I, I feel like I feel like it would have been normal if, like, the roles were switched. Like, like Conrad made, it, like, a big deal about it. But, like, the coach was like, yeah, whatever. If you want to quit, you want to quit. Like, it's not a big deal. But, like, why was the coach being like, oh, you're throwing your life away? Like, what does he care? I mean, to be fair, he, like, he also the wasn't coach... a star swimmer. Yeah, was he, he wasn't a star swimmer. No, he wasn't. Yeah. No, wasn't he on the bench? Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, he was on the bench. Yeah, he wasn't, yeah. Even, like, that out. He wasn't, like, outstanding or anything. <laughs> okay, guys, keep in mind, keep in mind, like, maybe part of this is because I grew up 15 minutes from where this movie was filmed. Okay, I did come oh, on my that God. <laughs> wow. I thought this might, like, be kind of close to home for you. <laughs> Okay, yeah. So, I mean, that might have been part of it. Like, this culture is so real up there. And plus, like, okay, remember where you grew up? Now, imagine, like, the slightly nicer, maybe even a lot nicer town really close by. Mm -hmm. That's what Lake Forest is to my hometown. (laughs) Like, Lake Forest is, like, the nicer place where, like, everyone's even more ritzy and even more stuck up, like, at least from our from our lens. Um, so like, I can just totally hear people in that area being like, oh man, if you quit the swim team, you're going to throw your life away. You're not going to get into college. You're not going to be able to do anything. You're not, you're going to, you're going to like get fat. Like you're going to start doing drugs because you're not going to have anything to do with your time. Like I can just totally see that being the mentality. So I can see why the coach would, would be like hard on him like that. Plus the kid, like he knows the kid, I mean, probably he knows Conrad tried to kill himself. So he probably knows that, like, you know, it's good for your health to be doing sports, um, to be part of a team. I don't know. I feel like there was a lot of motivation behind why he would say those things to Conrad. I don't think, like, I also don't think it was coming from a completely best place 
of mine because he was probably trying to defend his job a little bit. You know, like swimming is his thing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it makes sense why he would be defensive of that. He's like, how, how do you think you can get along better without me? Like, I'm your hero here. I'm your coach. How can you do better mm-hmm. without me? So there's probably a little bit of that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad you kind of covered those things, David, because I think I think not growing up in that area, I think I did kind of miss some of the context there. Um, so that was good. And and also on the note of swimming, like, do you think there was like supposed to be some kind of irony there with the fact that he was a swimmer, but like oh. couldn't like swim and, and save his brother? Like, do you think those things were connected? That could definitely be true. His brother wasn't a swimmer, right? He was a skater. Yeah, I don't think he was a swimmer. I think I got he he had like a lot of trophies of skating on his wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that would make sense that his brother wouldn't be the strongest at hanging on and and staying alive in the water, whereas Conrad mm-hmm. would, and that could contribute to his survivor's guilt. Yeah, and it did make me wonder if that was like another like kind of um, motivation for wanting to quit the swim team because he like I don't know like a bad association or whatever. yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of made sense to me, even though he like wasn't forthcoming about it. Yeah, that, that's really that's really true. Yeah, it could I, be that like every time he's swimming, he's reminded of that. I thought it was interesting. Well, you just beard, you just made me think of this when talking about the irony there. Do you think it's an even bigger ploy when talking about that he's drowning with all of this weight on his shoulders and everything he's going through and being on the boat? Um, he obviously struggled in that moment, but he eventually persevered and was able to get back up. And that's kind of how he is at the end of the movie, where he finally admits this guilt that he's feeling and that he feels like it's on him. And he finally hugs his mother and shows the emotion toward his mother when they were so stagnated. And he kind of perseveres through that while his mother obviously doesn't come out on top and sort of gets the same fate in the sense of Buck where she leaves the family. And she leaves at the end. Yeah, I got some opinions about that too. Um, but 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 what you said first, I, I totally agree with. I think there is a, a parallel there with, mm-hmm. um, like with his emotional situation and and kind of like feeling like you're drowning. Um, yeah, metaphorically. Yeah, I, that's I a really that's good true. thing to think about. Yeah. Um, before we go and talk about the situation with each of the family members, um, I wanted to bring up the fact that like. <laughs> Their Halloween decorations were so lame. They just had two pumpkins. What the heck? I mean, honestly, this is so typical of that area. Like, people just, like, try to go so minimal with their Halloween decorations, and it just ends up being so pathetic. I mean, in our hometown, like, people go insane with their decorations. They, like, put up, like, spider webs, and, like, they they put up, like, giant animatronic spiders. Like, it's crazy. But, like, this was so so authentic though i just think they really nailed the set dressing but their halloween candy was awesome they gave out full caramel apples i know right like what is the kid so gonna do with that put it in their bag come on <laughs> just gonna stick to all the other candy i don't know david for you it was the pumpkins for me it was that christmas tree i mean why would you pick up that christmas tree and bring that home there's no one forcing you to buy that go to a different place get a different christmas tree that thing was awful. i mean honestly though in lake forest you think they could get a better tree than that oh my gosh um also, like, I don't know uh, if you guys have heard of this t- uh, term before, but, like, McMansions, you ever heard of that? It's basically the idea that, like, 
in uh, in like sub, uh, affluent suburbs, you know, people want to live in a nice big house. So what what housing developers have done is like built the same variation of a house like over and over again in like different suburbs, mm -hmm. um, different neighborhoods. And like if you drive down the street, you'll like look to your left like, oh, that house looks slightly familiar to that house. And, you know, that one looks very similar to that one, except it has a smaller garage. And like they're basically just all variants of the same blueprint. Mm -hmm. um, so they're called a McMansion because it's kind of like, you know, McDonald's. You can always get the standard thing. Um, same idea. So I felt like this definitely looked like a McMansion if you've seen once you've seen a few, which I thought was, again, adding to the set dressing. Like that's typical upper middle class. Like they're not living in their own unique mansion. They're living in a mansion. It's not a not nice house. It's a super nice house, but it's like, it's not unique, which I think is just really interesting to that culture. I don't know. Also, I was super jealous of their house party, given coronavirus. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> I hated their house party. What? Dude, I know. I hated it too, but I was still jealous. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one thing I noticed about their house party, though, this is going to be like super nitpicky, but like, do you remember that scene where um, like Donald Sutherland was talking to like Mary Tyler Moore's mother or whatever, like, and she was like, and he was like talking about how um, like Conrad was going to the psychiatrist and you know all that. Mm -hmm. Okay, I was very distracted by the carpet on the stairs. It was like the ugliest shit oh, yeah. I've ever seen. It. It was, <laughs> I'm like that. Is, I'm like that is puke green. It looks so gross. Anyway, I was like, all right, I understand it's like the '80s. Like that was like kind of normal back then. But I was like, oh, it's just that's just so distracting. Anyway, I just had to throw that in there. Um, yeah. Well, it's interesting. And so, hold up, David. I'm gonna let you speak. Are we? Because what you just said leads into a couple of my points about character development. Are we gonna be okay, hopping yeah, into that? Yeah. Let's talk about. Let's talk let's about talk the about characters. Character yeah. Okay. So what you just said was the start of what I think sort of defined the movie. If you saw, so based on that scene, right? Donald Sutherland was talking about the the psychiatrist and, and the help, the mental help that um, Conrad was getting while the mom comes in and, and, and is not a fan of it. And you mm -hmm. kind of saw this throughout the movie where Conrad was the one who went to the hospital and got the majority of the help. But near the end, Donald Sutherland saw the psychiatrist as well. And he was mm -hmm. able to talk about his own feelings while the mother the whole time refused to acknowledge it, refused to go. And as you saw at the end, the two left standing were Donald Sutherland and Conrad, while the mom couldn't stay there. And, and because she didn't go to the psychiatrist was the one that ended up leaving. And I thought that there was just that was so indicative of the sort of story to the movie was saying the overall theme of discussing mental health and how powerful getting the help you need is. Mm -hmm. um, and throughout the movie, there was these little nuanced moments of when she shattered the the plate. Yes. And she said, Maybe this can be fixed. Yes. And she played together. And I thought that was the same thing how she viewed with her family and saying, Maybe I can fix my family. I don't need somebody's outside help. The similar with how she talked at the mall with getting mad at Donald Sutherland saying, It's my family. This stays in our family. We don't need anybody's outside help with fixing the outside rather than and worrying about the appearance, just like the plate. Maybe I can fix the look of this plate rather than the real problems. Yeah, spot on. Dude, she Dude. was the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, 
I felt I, I watched an interview that she had um, post Oscars run, and she talks about this exact thing. She says, "I don't think people should hate my character." Um, she says, "I think that it's more feeling bad because her character was raised to yeah to mm-hmm. feel bad. She just can't express it as a mom. She can't do it. It's not like she's trying to be mean. Like yeah. she was never equipped with the tools, you know." Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I thought that scene where she broke the plate was really, really perfect. Like, I mean, first she breaks the plate, the her her mom comes in, and and like instead of addressing the problem, like she should have, her own mom is like, "Oh yeah, your son needs a firm hand. Like, you gotta you gotta whip that boy into shape." And she's like, "I think I can fix this plate." I thought there was so much interesting dialogue where they kept just talking past each other. Mm-hmm. Like this, like this scene. She's like, "Yeah, I think this plate could be fixed." And the mom's talking about something completely different, and she's just got her head in the clouds, focused on fixing this completely broken plate. <laughs> like, I think it's a clean break. Yeah, it's like a clean break straight down the middle. <laughs> yeah, right. Don't save the plate. Like, just. But also, like mending the plate would be similar to mending the relationships, mm-hmm. in a way, like just it is a clean break like you just have to go to therapy and maybe you could fix it like mm-hmm. the other two they finally end up mending it in the end so yeah i thought the mom yeah. I, I honestly didn't hate the mom at all i felt completely like her her character arc was very much redeemable in the same way the other two were i mean yes she she is like kind of an antagonist but honestly i i could totally relate to her too yeah i i see what you're saying david and and actually i totally agree like even though i didn't like the mom like i did think she was an important character because like it was important to show that like all their family members were kind of grieving in different ways um and whereas like um conrad and the dad were like okay with seeking help like she was kind of more closed off and private about it so like i i did think that dynamic was important um i guess my problem with her was that like i didn't think mary tyler moore like did a very good job of portraying her um and i thought like her character was like really poorly acted um which uh, at least that's that was my opinion because she also got nominated for an oscar so <laughs> i guess a lot of people thought she did really good but like you guys talked about how she like would not show emotion um and things and like i thought that that was that was definitely like part of her character and that's definitely what she was supposed to be doing because you know she was trying to be closed off and not like embrace those feelings um but i thought she took it like way too far like did you guys notice how like she showed like no facial expression the entire movie like like it's one thing to like kind of hold back emotions relating to this accident but she just like would not like show anything at all like there's there's a scene and it might have been the scene where she broke the plate or something no actually no i think it was a different one she was like she was screaming with her husband and they were like arguing but she has like a totally flat face the entire time and Mm -hmm. i'm like all right like you're arguing you can like be angry about that like or something or you can show an emotion that's like uh, like completely unrelated to your son like honestly I, I kind of disagree. Like, I mean, I think that not showing emotion would be an accurate portrayal of how that character is feeling. Like, mm-hmm. are you telling me you've never been in a position where you just have this emotional wall inside? Like, like you really want to, like, get over it 
but you just can't. Like, kind of how Conrad was in the beginning of the film. Like, he couldn't speak what was on his mind. He had to get that wall shattered mm-hmm. by by the psychiatrist. Like, it had to be shattered so he could finally yell and, and like, show emotion. Mary, like, or whatever her name was, Beth, Beth I think, yeah. she mm-hmm. would not let that be shattered because it kind of was, like, if that gets shattered, like, the reality of her child's mm-hmm. death would finally hit home and she would yeah. not allow that to happen. Yeah. And like, David, I, I, I agree with you. And like, I get that, but like, I, I, but I, I don't know. I figured like she was mostly like, she didn't want to like show emotion around other people. And like, mm-hmm. I was like, kind of, I was like frustrated after she had like that confrontation at the end with her husband and you know, he straight up was like, yo, I don't love you anymore. And she just like walks away. Dude, that confrontation like, was so artful. I thought it was not good. <laughs> it was, it was like so weird because he's like, he's like, yeah, sorry, I don't love you anymore. And she just like doesn't say anything. She just like walks away. <laughs> I know, I know. It's so good to do in that situation. And she's like visually, well, I don't know. I mean, like I thought she would at least like say something. And then she like goes upstairs and she's like visibly shaken. Like she is like you like she is shaking a lot you can tell she's like upset Mm -hmm. but she still won't show any emotion like yo you're by yourself you can like break down like this is your moment to just like kind of like finally after everything that happened in the movie just finally break down cry get it all out and she doesn't and i'm like ah it's like show an emotion dude that's the thing though that's why it was so good (laughs) i I mean mean, so i think it's oh no chad i'll let you go i I was just andrew i think you got to think back to that scene where conrad is in dr Berger's office and Dr. Berger is like prodding him and prompting him. He's like, get angry. Like, tell, like, tell me to fuck off. Like, he's really like going at him. And it like takes a ton before like super teenage angst, like over the top emotional Conrad finally gets angry because it just takes too much energy to get angry. Like, it's just like showing any emotion just requires too much energy and I don't want to do it and it's exhausting and I'm not interested. And, mm-hmm. and you got I think. I see we have a friend now. So Martha. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> goodbye, Martha. Um, um, yeah. I think it's it's his mom just taking that to the most extreme where she's like, even when I'm by myself, even when it's this emotional moment, like if I show any shred of emotion, like all of this stuff that I've been holding back is gonna like wash over me. It's gonna be too much to handle. Like I think okay. they established think... that in the movie and then kind of like pay it off at the end that she's not willing to go that far. Like uh-huh. because so... she's never had Yeah, I, I agree I, with that. Because, well, so exactly what you said, Chad, earlier on in the movie, uh, I believe it was Donald Sutherland was talking to was talking to a friend of his. I think this was on when they were walking through Chicago. They were running. Oh, no, 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 no. But they were on the river. I think this is that when they mm-hmm. were talking and they said that Conrad is a lot like his mother rather than Buck. And they alluded to the exact thing, Chad, that you touched on. They said they're a lot like alike. And I think exactly what you're talking about is that two people that are alike that have that same emotional restriction. And you can see throughout the movie when they were um, when Conrad was sitting in his backyard and the mom came and they tried to open up and talk. And that just Mm -hmm. didn't work. Um, That two people that have very similar emotional states and how they express emotion go down two separate paths. And you saw how it differentiated with exactly what you were talking about, where Conrad not only opened up and finally cried but showed love to his mom and gave her the hug and then you could see that when she received the hug that she was struggling she she 
you could see that in her face. She was feeling, she was feeling something, but she was struggling not to show it. And, and I think that that struggle was indicative of the path that each person took. I, I thought this movie was so good at showing the things that can't be shown on film. Like the internal wall and the internal struggles that each character is going through is so much written on their face and in what they're not saying as much as what they do say. Like what he just said, when Conrad hugs, hugs Beth and then she just completely shatters. Like you're seeing what's going on inside her head. She's trying to react. She's trying to like keep her facade up her facade has just been shattered like she knows that it's like a checkmate like he showed love to her and she didn't show it back immediately which basically confirms everything that everyone knows already that she can't show that love and then that same thing like i mean have you ever been in a fight with someone like i'm talking about that that final confrontation between uh the mom and the dad like where where he's down there crying she wakes up he's not there she realizes, okay, I got to go check on him, which is kind of like, that's like an automatic response, right? Mm-hmm. That's like, you wake up in the middle of the night, your partner's not there. What's going on? I'm going to go check. Like, I'm not even really expect, I don't know what to find. I don't know what I'm expecting to find. I just know I got to go check. So she goes to check. She comes down to the bottom of the stairs, sees him crying, and then she has to make a choice whether to engage or pretend she never saw him and go back to bed. So she chooses to go engage out of like again probably that like partnerly respect and love like she wants to be a good partner so she goes to check on him knowing full well that this is going to be an emotional uphill scene so she goes to check on him and then he basically just like instead of playing around the bush like they've been doing this entire movie he finally just says what's on his mind which has been kind of like what he's been experiencing the whole movie from the very beginning when he, when they're at the play and it's like, oh, I've never stopped loving you for a minute. And then it turns and then the camera goes to him and he's just like, uh, like you can tell he's been there this entire time. This is exactly where he's been from the start of the movie. He's struggling to keep the two of them together. He wants Conrad to be okay because he doesn't want him to kill himself again. And he wants his wife to like love, her, love, love them both and love her son and get over her trauma. And he tries to bring her there. He tries to lead this, the horse to the water but she just won't. So he finally just breaks down. He can't hold up the facade anymore. He tells her straight up how he's feeling. And then she is still not ready for that. So she just like can't react. Like she wants to say something. It's written on her face. She wants to say something so bad, but she's just so overwhelmed by her own internal fury and struggle that she just runs away. She literally just runs away she she's realizing how much of like a meltdown she's having with her physical breakdown. But again, it's still like so much in her head that her body isn't reacting. Her face isn't having those emotions. There's too many emotions to emote. So like she just packs a bag and leaves. And I don't think that the, the relationship's necessarily over. I think that, I mean, I don't think that it was like, we're getting divorced. I think the way he said it, it was like, yeah, she's going away for a little while. Like she just needs to, to cool off. Um, I think that, I think that like when you have those really strong feelings in a relationship, it basically inhibits your ability to love somebody. Like mm-hmm. I can see how the dad wouldn't be able to love her anymore if she's like this. He still loves her for who she was. Like he remembers the dancing at their wedding. He remembers old times with them, but he doesn't love her for who she is now mm-hmm. because she's just not who she who he loved anymore. So then he wants her to get back to that point, or at least to a point where he can build that love again. And so that's why she goes away. I don't think that 
her leaving is the end of the relationship. I think it's just like the beginning of her climb up the mountain of emotional um, understanding. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree that like she was a very complicated character for sure. And I think like there was like at least something salvageable like in a relationship between her and her husband. But like, what about like the relationship between her and her son? Like, she didn't give a shit about Conrad. She's like, yeah, let's go on a vacation and not bring him along. <laughs> and like, I don't know. She and like she like didn't try very hard to like connect with him. She like I don't know. Like especially with the vacation and like not taking him along, and she'd be like, oh yeah, he can just like stay with my parents. Like I felt like she was like, kind of dismissive and like didn't really like do things that were like in his best interest. And like I don't know. Like. I think think when you've got a person who's going through something as stressful as depression and, like, losing a child, like, you have to give them some grace. I think, Mm -hmm. like, you have to put what they're going through. This is kind of like the whole thing about understanding mental illness. Like, Mm -hmm. put the whole thing they're going through in their perspective and, like, try Mm -hmm. to understand, like, why are they acting like this? You know, Mm -hmm. I mean... It's kind of like what the psychiatrist says through the whole thing. He's like, does your mom really hate you? No, she doesn't really hate you. She just can't show you the love she wants to. Like, right. But even but even before Buck died, she preferred Buck over Conrad. Like, she was very clearly showing favoritism, mm-hmm. which is, like, not a good thing. Oh, well, in that case, yes. I can't but, but defend I that. I mean, like, <laughs> like, yeah, like, I don't, I don't want to, like, make it sound like I'm, like, blaming her. Because you're right, like, when you're someone is suffering from, like, a really traumatic experience and having like mental health issues like you're right you got to put yourself in their shoes and you got to like see it from their perspective um and, and so i kind of want to like differentiate those like there were definitely things i sympathized with her about but there were other things where i was just like you're just not nice yeah i think part of it i mean to be fair yeah she's probably wasn't the best mom to begin with um and for that you know we can we can fault her all day i can't yeah. defend that but the stuff like where She's just not opening up to him. She doesn't want to stand next to him for a picture. She doesn't want to take him on vacation with her because he's the living reminder of her mm-hmm. other dead son. That yeah. the fact and, that and she, yeah, and and she did resent him for probably thinking like he failed to save Buck. Yeah, um, probably. I mean, come so, on. Yeah. Imagine, I, I imagine one of your sons survives a traumatic thing where they were both there, and and you feel like. If he would have tried to save Buck, maybe Buck would be alive, but he didn't try to save Buck. So she's feeling anger at him, and then she's probably guilty that she feels that anger. Yeah. So, like, um, I thought that she was a really interesting character. I, I actually really liked her inclusion in the film. Yeah. To be, to be fair, I, like, she kind of started off on the wrong foot for me when she threw away that French toast in, like, her first scene. Oh, I, yeah, mm-hmm. true I that. Was, like, Down the garbage disposal. No, I know. No, 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 like, French toast doesn't <laughs> keep... Throw it down. <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh, you don't want it? All right, it's gone. I was like, what? Yeah, I was watching, so I watched this movie with my mom, and immediately, before she did that, when he, when she woke him up and, uh, and he came down, she was like, wow, she's cold. And my mom noticed that right away. Yeah. And I had to pause for a second. I was like, oh, yeah, she, she is cold. And yeah. because I, it, it hadn't, I hadn't, it hadn't necessarily clicked with me yet. But I think, so going now, as we've dove in, going back outward and looking at the movie as a whole, I think it's interesting with everything that we all have talked about going back to that. This movie came out in 1980 and that this was a very common problem in 
middle class, upper middle class families with keeping up your appearance. And I just think it's interesting how this movie came out and specifically addressed that issue. And specifically, I'm thinking of with Oscar winning movies, how they continue to address um, very important social and social and political family issues. You look at this movie and then, and I believe 2004, there was both Crash and Brokeback Mountain, I want to say. Mm. Um, both of those movies were very big on um, touching on social issues and, and, and with racial issues as well. And I just think it's interesting how, um, just from an Oscar's perspective, how these movies continue to um, win Best Picture. I also wanted to bring this up. Who is the main actor? Who's the leading actor? I thought it was Timothy Hutton, but he won Best Supporting. I thought Donald Sutherland. Story. I thought it was his story more than Donald Sutherland's. Yeah, no. I, I didn't get that either. They, they, I like, disagree. Give him like fourth billing. <laughs> I mean, why? I, t- no, J- Judd Hirsch got third billing. He was yeah, like he, the third main star. Yeah, yeah, Judd Hirsch did get third billing, but like Timothy Hutton got fourth billing, even though he got like the most screen time. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, to be fair, he was like the least well known because like the, those other three. Um, were like already very well established actors yeah. before this movie, so like I kind of got it, but I was like, all right, come on. Um, yeah, but anyway, I think like back then they probably, I mean, back then is like forty years ago, but maybe they kind of saw younger people as like not capable of being the star. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I I think it's honestly I think it's like a Hollywood thing where it's like when you're a big name actor, you like negotiate in your contract to be like top billing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. That, that's like a thing, and that's what helps like sell movies. Like when you see like big names, it makes people want to see them. So, yeah. yeah. Also, do you guys yeah. know what Donald Sutherland starred in that all of us have probably seen? Match. Oh. Hunger Games. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> President Snow, dude. Yeah, I, no, I, I knew that before when I when I saw the Hunger Games the first time because like I'd seen a couple <laughs> of his movies before, and I was like, wait, is that Donald Sutherland? Mm-hmm. Man, yeah. he looked young. So controversial, controversial. I I thought this was interesting that it won Best Picture because this beat out Raging Bull with by Martin Scorsese. I mean, this Raging Bull is so much better. (laughs) I was I was just I was shocked that this won Best Picture over Raging Bull, but I I haven't seen that. I can understand. Yeah, I've not seen that one. Maybe we'll watch it next week. It was on Netflix for a while. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, okay, wait. So. We're already like 45 minutes in. Like, do you mind if I like divert this conversation and talk about the writing? Um, okay. And the dialogue? Yeah. Yeah. There are definitely a few things I wanted to cover as well, but definitely go for that. Okay. I won't, I won't dwell on it too long. Um, so we can get to your point. Okay. So, like, I, I told you I had like some problems with um, with the mom and how she, like, I, I didn't think she, like, acted very well, but, like, you know, we kind of went in. There's, like, kind of two sides to that. Okay, but the writing was like so not good in my opinion. I thought like there there were like five instances where I like counted non sequiturs that were like going on where like somebody would say something and then the other person would respond with something that just like did not make any sense whatsoever. Yeah. And like I and I, I thought like they were trying to create like a sense of intrigue by like being really cryptic and vague and like trying to like kind of sound mysterious and stuff but i was just like this doesn't make any sense like this this dialogue just doesn't work um like here's some examples 
Um, okay, first of all, can we just like talk about all the interactions that Conrad and his mom had together? Because they were like the most awkward thing. I, I, I felt like it was it was like pulling teeth watching these conversations. Um, mm -hmm. Like, do you remember the one where, like, I think what was it? I think his mom was in the yard and Conrad came out and like started talking to her and he like started talking about like like a pigeon or something that was in the garage and he's like, oh yeah, it was yeah. the closest thing we ever had to a pet. And Our she's like. Oh, yeah, he just like starts barking, and then he starts barking, away. and they're talking. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So Con Conrad was actually in the yard, and the mom came out. Um, yeah, it's interesting. You so you didn't like that? It was so unnatural. That's the point. Ah, uh, yeah, that's so what I'm saying. I, I thought that scene was great because you saw the mom looking through the window at Conrad, and you could see that she wanted to go out there and talk to him. She didn't have to go out. You saw that she wanted to go out, and you could see that she. Mm -hmm was trying to make the effort. She gave, she showed a little bit of emotion at the start. But then when Conrad brought up Buck and started talking about, oh, this about Buck, and then she, her demeanor changed. And then you could see that she was aggravating him. And then it was just, it was game over. And she walked away cold. And I thought that whole scene was great because we felt the, we, we felt the, the dysfunctional aspect of the family. We felt that very well by feeling like it was pulling your teeth. Yeah. Like, okay. And, and that's really fair. Like, I, I understood that they were like trying to like show that they just like could not connect and they couldn't like empathize with each other. But like, why did they present it that way? Like, why did Conrad start barking? I was like, what the fuck are you doing? I mean, like, yeah, the barking was probably the one thing I didn't like get. Yeah. I was just like, what? Or like, there was another, um, there was another one where, um, Conrad was talking to, um, uh dr Berger, and uh let's see he was like so he's like oh so what have you been thinking and he just goes i jack off a lot i'm like what like like i know you're trying to like not like address the issue numbers but like why would you say that like that is like what uh, i don't know that that would like really bothered me um okay more dialogue um oh here's a non sequitur so like when when after that huge argument at the end when um when the mom leaves and everything and, and um, the dad is just like sitting in the yard very pensively, like, you know, Conrad comes out and is like, Oh dad, like what's going on? What happened? And the dad just like cocks his head and looks out and is like, the yard looks smaller without leaves. I was like, bro, answer his question. <laughs> Dude, that's like, right. that's like exactly the point though. I mean, I can, I want to address all of these. <laughs> I felt like, Wait. Go ahead. Even the jack off comment was like, I mean, I don't know. I feel like uh, in that moment, Conrad was trying to throw the psychiatrist with that comment. Yes. And yeah. he said that probably because psychiatry is related to like Freudianism and thinking about everything is phallic. And like, I don't know, that's kind of where that comment led me down in a thought trail. Like in the moment, I was like, pretty much that exact lightning bolt of thought went through my brain. And I was just like, accepted it because that's kind of how they were portraying it. But yeah, if you take it apart and you're just like, why would he say that? <laughs> yeah, I get it. It's like, definitely like, like I, again, a weird I, I thing to like say. They, I agree. Like, I think that was like, uh, I, I get what they're trying to do. I just like wish they would have chose some other dialogue or, or a different yeah. line or something to like achieve that point. Um, Chad, yeah. you looked like you were going to say I, something. I, was gonna say, I think this is definitely something that I noticed was like, there's these weird tangents in these conversations. But I think throughout the film, they tried to establish that like, Oftentimes when you're trying to have these really deep, difficult conversations, people 
or the world or around you will clearly try to divert you. I think of that restaurant scene where he's finally opening up and telling someone who's not a doctor, who's just like one of his friends, someone he's trying to get to know. He's just saying like, yeah, like it doesn't scare you. Like there's just a hole and then you're just falling and the holes inside you. And then those kids come in and she starts laughing and it's like super like there's this pattern in the movie where like every time like someone's trying to open up, someone's trying to have a deep conversation, someone's trying to like finally like bridge that gap a little bit and get somewhere emotionally like, oh, let's throw in something that throws us off. Like we don't want to have that conversation. Like we don't want to like actually bridge that gap. We don't yeah. want to like try and have difficult conversations. And I think it's trying to show that like even when you try and take that first step, like you're still going to run into obstacles. Like you're still going to run into tripping blocks. Like the world around you still is like very much like, no, no, no don't talk about that that's yeah. not okay like like everyday life is things. is trying to cork you it's trying to stop you from speaking and getting things off your chest that's kind of like how i felt about why he would quit swimming because like when you go to school all day and then like the minute you get up you go to school and then you spend another hour or two or three at swimming practice or whatever you're doing after school then you come home and have to do homework and then you go to finally go to sleep you don't get any time to think and like reflect and yeah. with without doing that work, that internal effort, you're never going to get over your problems. And like, that's why the mom is constantly out. She's shopping. She's doing something. She's going to the mechanic. You know, she's doing lots of stuff, lots of errands, keeping herself right. busy so that she's not able to process. She just wants to golf. She just wants to drink. She just wants to go to the movies, go to these parties, which, by the way, the dialogue in those parties was abysmal. I totally hear you. Like, <laughs> what the heck were they talking about? Oh, I'm going to stop. Should have been 30 I'm seconds. Deal, guys. 30 <laughs> seconds, not three well, minutes. It was... well, I thought the conversations at the party and then as well, when you when you look at the the run, when Donald Sutherland was running with uh, the guy that was yeah. Yeah. as well, I think that's just indicative of this, again, keeping up appearances and willing surface and, level yes yeah, everything outer yeah, showing, conversation, showing yeah. your upper middle class your family's doing well focused on how other people perceive you and that whole keeping up with the joneses mindset yeah you know dude and, and chad oh sorry no um, you go okay um yes yeah, so i also want to talk about that that scene that chad mentioned with um where connor was at the restaurant with janine and mm -hmm. they're like going on their date that okay my favorite scene in the whole movie Hmm. See, see, I, I had such high expectations because I thought, like, in the first couple scenes where he and Janine started to get to know each other before they went on their date, I was like, oh, okay, like, this is really great. Like, Connor's, like, happy when he spends time with her because, like, she treats him like just a normal human being. She, like, came in after all this, like, tragic stuff happened, so she doesn't, like, come in with any context. She just, like, treats him like an ordinary person. Um and then I was like, oh, this is perfect. But then, like, they go in the restaurant, and she's like, oh, yeah, so what was it like? Why'd you kill yourself? And, like, I was like, like, why Why did you ask him so bluntly? Like, I'm I like, think that's the thing, though. Like, you could have just, like, let it aside, and this could have just been, like, a great outlet for Conrad to just, like, have somebody who didn't, like, constantly pester him about, like, these things. And, like, he has a, he has a different outlet with his psychiatrist to, like, talk through these things, but he has... Like, I'm a, he could have had a great outlet with Janine to just, like, not have to deal with those things. So, anyway. Yeah, I, I feel like she's not a mental health professional. Like, yeah. I, like, she's a high schooler. Like, I feel like that's, like, obviously it's an inappropriate question to ask out of the blue and that bluntly. But, like, you know, especially in 1980, who, what high schooler is going to know that, like, you don't ask that? Mm -hmm. I felt like such a good part of that, this movie was that it didn't feel like it was written. Like, it didn't feel like a story that I could see the end of. It felt like it was just happening as it was going. Like, that scene, 
definitely when she asked that, I was I was shook. I was like, whoa, why would you say that? But like, that's kind of the point. Like you don't, in normal everyday interactions, you don't know what people are going to say. And then like, and then the camera pans to his scars, which that's where I had to pause. Yeah, that was, was like, whoa, that was crazy. dude. Yeah, that's that was, fucked. That was so yeah, that, that was, uh, that was a lot. Um, very well, I think, heavy. I think it's interesting because at the, uh, the swim coach also talked about when he was in a mental hospital, he mentioned getting electricity bolts shot through your head. Yeah. And I just think, I think building off of that, seeing those interactions with people not necessarily knowing how to talk about mental health and yeah. Yeah. treatment in general mm-hmm. and those situations in a public setting and not knowing how to talk to people about it. I think that was very indicative of what it was like at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and kind of the same thing. They kept like awkwardly being like blunt and bringing things up. Be like, oh, your hair's growing back. I'm like, oh, we didn't draw attention to this very sensitive thing. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, I, I, I do agree with you. Yeah. Dude. Also, okay. I thought it was really interesting that he doesn't believe in God. You know? Like, I thought that was just an interesting thing to include. Because they only really touched on it for like a few seconds during that conversation. Right. She's like, do you believe in God? He's like, no. <laughs> and uh, and then she's like, I believe in God. You know, he's like, well, you either do or you don't. Um, I just thought, like, what did you guys think about that and the impact that that like kind of has throughout the rest of the, sh- the movie? Did you really feel like that connected to anything? Or like, was that kind of just like a little blip i i could see where like if he was not religious it might be more reason for him to try and kill himself because he doesn't like think that he has anything like going on after he dies so it's like oh what's the point like um so like i can kind of see that um although i gotta be honest like i didn't like i like i noticed when they said that but like i didn't like think a lot about it um so yeah i don't know i'm not not sure if i have a lot of thoughts one way or the other yeah i just thought maybe that was part of why he didn't cry at the funeral i don't know know. the the only thing that i really have to connect to that was just him getting treatment i i don't know if at the time it was if you were religious if you were against mental health treatment but i know that there have been things where people who might be super religious are against um, certain types of treatment. I, I, that would be my only assumption. Uh, when you said that, though, I kind of thought about the music and how the music sounded a little holy with the... Uh, mm. Oh, yeah. In, 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 in the mm. choir. Um, He's so excited about the Alleluia. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was a little interesting how that he is- was singing point. and the music that was paired with his non-belief but i don't know if that played a pivotal role I, I didn't see that playing a pivotal role in the story yeah that is really interesting to think about like that he was super pumped to sing the alleluia which is like a song about rejoicing for the love of god and everything and yet he doesn't believe in god at mm-hmm. all very interesting actually speaking of which i soundtrack wise i thought the theme of the song it's great. I, I, I listened to it even after the movie. I really love the theme of the song along with um, 
the canon canon in D major was the other main standout with the classical music type style. I thought both yeah, of those very, were really good. Yeah. And really fitting for, for the movie. Yeah, it's awesome. a classical song. I, I played that in school. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so at this point, there are kind of like a few like wrap-up things that I wanted to ask. Um, did you guys have any crazy teen angst stories growing up? Hmm. I can go first. Um, so, like, this isn't really about depression, but when I was in high school, I had a girlfriend, and then she broke up with me, and I was so, like, distraught over it. I didn't know what to do, and, I, and she had, like, written me letters. We'd, like, exchanged letters and stuff like that. So I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take these letters, and I'm going to burn them. It's going to be cathartic as hell, and I'm going to get over this. It's going to be great. So then, like, I'm pretty much home alone, and uh, and I'm, you know, emotionally distraught. So, like, I go out in the outside to go burn, and I'm a, I'm a Boy Scout. I know how to burn things. You know, it shouldn't be, shouldn't be a problem for me. So, like, I go outside. And it's like super windy, like incredibly windy. I have this little tiny lighter. It's not even lighting up. Like it's just way too windy. I'm like, dang it. What am I going to do? I can't wait to burn these things. I have to do it now. So then I go in my garage and I just like, because it's not as windy in there. You know, I'm, I'm able to light a fire, control it, you know, no problem. You know, I burn the papers a little bit and then I'm like, oh, this is so stupid. So I like stamp out the papers, you know, I get all the, all the coals out. There's no more fire. And I just throw it in the trash can. And then I go to bed. My mom comes home like two hours later because I don't know what she was doing, but she was out. She comes back later. And now it's like 10 or 11 p.m. I'm in bed. I'm asleep. And like <laughs> I just hear fire sirens. Like so then I wake up. My mom yells, David, get down here. And I'm like in my pajamas. I come downstairs. I'm like, what the heck happened? So apparently she came home got out of her car, smelled smoke, was like very confused why there was a smoky smell, which obviously like makes a lot of sense from a homeowner perspective. So then she's like trying to figure it out. She smells it not really much in the, in the like laundry room, but she smells it in the garage. She thinks maybe there's a fire burning in the wall that like she just can't see. So then she calls the fire department. They come. They're like, ma'am, was anyone burning anything in this room? And then she calls me down. And then I have to explain to the firefighters that I was oh, burning oh. a letter from one of my exes. Oh. And the, the look on their faces was just just so embarrassed for me. <laughs> it was Everyone was just like, everyone was just like, oh, we know where this is going, but just tell the story. <laughs> I'm just like, I burned oh, letters from my That's ex. They're like, they're like, dude, don't do that inside. I'm like, I know. <laughs> so... That was really fun. You know, good embarrassing story. Oh. Man, that's rough. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I remember um I I guess I'll 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 end with girlfriend story as well. Uh when I broke up with my girlfriend senior year, um, broke up and then we got back together. But when we first broke up, I was absolutely just heartbroken and i remember my parents was like oh are you okay and i was like yeah i'm fine played it off as being cool and then i got to my room and i queued up on title because i had title at the time back when that was big with jay-z and kanye west i had title and i queued up uh uh what is it by band of horses uh what's their 
What's their song? I, uh, the funeral. Yes, the funeral. I queued up the funeral by Band of Horses, mm. and then just, just balling. And I had a, I had a full playlist with the funeral, Coldplay with the scientist fix you chasing cars by Snow Patrol, mm. and I'm just like letting it out. Um, and I felt like I was just I was so hard, and it was just you're bringing back. me back, man. Yeah, yeah bring me back. Like sad <laughs> therapeutic the music. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, with your just wired earbuds because back then you had headphone jacks and yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just that feeling of like I couldn't talk to anyone. I remember that, but. I will say it was tough to I, I, watching this movie made me very thankful for the family that I have because they have always shown me love and affection. And I'm incredibly fortunate and thankful for that. And um, it just made me reflect on how, how lucky, how lucky I am. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps up ordinary people and a great second podcast. Um, good work today, everyone. And uh, so then we will decide on another movie to watch coming up the next week. Hopefully we can give it to Colin in advance early enough that he can watch the movie. <laughs> what are our ratings? What do we Oh yeah. Movie, oh yeah, would you all rate oh, the yeah. movie? Just give me your your final rating. 66. <laughs> 50. 61. 84. Nice. Ooh, Dude, nice. I like this movie a lot. I felt hey, like that's fair. That's fair. Honestly, I just felt like there was never been a movie that just completely captures that emotion for me. And yeah. for that, I gave it really high ratings on everything cuz like there was just so many points where like like I just remember when when the when Mary Tyler Moore, you know, comes up to Donald Sutherland at the end and she's like talking to him and he basically lays the truth on the table. She looks in every single direction before she can look back at him. Like she's looking for anything that can save her from this moment. And mm. that's when she just runs away. She just can't. She just doesn't know what to do. There's no solution. Gotta run away. I just thought, I mean, I like the scene where he's like got his arm over his face. I mean, I, I've been there. Like where you're just so embarrassed that you just can't face anybody. You're just on your bed. You're on your bed face down. When you turn around, you've still got something covering your face. Like, you just are so embarrassed. I don't know. I've been there before as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I felt like a lot of these scenes were just straight out of my life, maybe. Um, except for the part where I, you know, had a brother die in a terrible, tra- tragic sailing accident. Um, luckily. So, yeah. for I, that reason, 84, baby. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously, I didn't really like this movie as much as you did, but I mean, I, I can't, I can't fault you for that. I mean, I think all the things that you liked about it are very legitimate, and I think uh, if it really like spoke to you, then that's uh, that's great. I agree. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Robert, e- Roger Ebert gave it a four stars. Okay, he did. That's I, like an eighty <laughs> percent. And and he did, well, and that's four out of four actually. Actually, that, I was afraid that I was gonna be wrong on that. Yeah, four out of four. So <laughs> ha. <laughs> yeah. And and he gave four stars to Grave of the Fireflies too, which I love. So nice. I can't I can't blame you for that either. So yeah. Um. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up. All right, guys. Hope you have a great rest of your week, and I'll talk to you next Sunday. Yep. Yeah. Sounds good. See you. All right. Adios. Peace.